wish you would be more offensive about paranormal. I don't like light. It's a bit naughty. I don't believe that it's all real. I love you guys. It's actually the most played podcast. Welcome to Graveyard Shift, the podcast from Shift Films. I'm Frankie Campbelletta. And I am Jeremy King. So we start getting into the debunking here and discrepancies. The first big discrepancy within the whole thing is in Cottage City, there's a house known as 3210 Bunker Hill. It's right on Bunker Hill Road. The house has been raised. It no longer exists. But to this day, like a lot of our paranormal pit stops, People go out and they do seances and they do the Ouija board. Ronald never lived at 3210 Bunker Hill Road. We did all the research on this in Mount Rainier, Maryland. It was also owned by uh, Joseph Stroop and Haas, beloved husband of the late Emily J. Haas. So he has no survivors to Joseph Haas were listed. It was clear that he never had any children. Hence the haunted boy, Ronald Hunkler, could never have lived at 3210 Bunker Hill Road. So... That's the first discrepancy, and that's the one that's always like, you know, people, oh, we need to go to this hillside, or we need to go to this roadside, and this is where the exorcist boy was. It turns out, actually, his actual home was on 3807 40th Avenue, Cottage City, Maryland. That's where the family resided there until 1958. So, although they were in St. Louis, for those time periods, they did return home. For the record, Rob Doe, as he was known by the church, entered the seventh grade at Bladensburg Junior High in the fall of 1947 and was removed in the middle of his eighth grade year in January 1949. He re-enrolled in the eighth grade at Bladensburg Junior High for the 49-50 school year, then spent the next four years from the fall of 1950 until 1954 at Gonzaga High School in Washington, D.C., a Catholic high school. So as we go through these discrepancies, a lot of things are going to start being a little strange. So childhood friends start coming out about all this stuff after 1949. One of one of the brothers of one of the friends said to have been Ronnie Hunkler's best friend and constant companion for a number of years. The two boys were born just days apart and developed a new relationship at a very early age that lasted throughout their teens. Two of the brothers from this family agreed to speak to me, but only on the condition that they be granted an anonymity. Their testimony puts them right at the heart of the Rob Doe saga or Ronald Hunkler saga. The older brother, J.C., was born in 1926. He recounted his memories of what happened just up the street from his home in 1949. I'm aware of the story, and I know a lot of people who followed the story, and, well, yes, I knew him. There were very few people that knew about it at the time. We have kept very quiet about it over the years deliberately because it didn't happen in Mount Rainier. He and my younger brother were very close friends, and they were very precocious. If you know what I'm saying, in every neighborhood, kids pair up, and this is kind of a thing that happened. These two paired up and were virtually inseparable. They were loners who found each other, and they caused a lot of mischief. There was a close relationship there, a very close relationship. I asked JC if he knew any specifics about the possession that was allegedly taking place to their friend up the street, 
and this is how he responded. I knew something was going on before the first article ever came out. It was developing over a period of time, and you could see this condition building up. You could say I was in the house and witnessed these things. I attended the local premiere of that video in the grip of evil, and they exaggerated so many things that happened. One of the things they tried to emphasize in that show was the thing about the boys spitting. Well, with this pair, I noticed that one of the common bonds between them that they found was a very clever way of doing it. They could spit with great accuracy up to 10 feet. It was a common thing. They kept their mouths closed and raised their lips and spit through their teeth, and they somehow developed a way to do that. I saw them do that all the time. Another thing was with the bed moving all about. This is what Halloran later says in in an article or a radio show. Here's the thing with that. In those days, the beds had wire springs and were on wheels, and it was not too hard at all to make the bed bounce and move about. It was harder to keep it in one place, and his bed was like that. A lot of these things can be exaggerated to make a story, and it sounds exactly what happened. Since JC was one of the very few who actually knew that Rob was going through the phase at the time and was able to observe the situation firsthand, I asked him if he thought the boy was actually possessed by the devil, and this is how he responded. No, I don't think he was ever possessed. I think it was psychological. As far as any real possession or anything like that, I don't think so. There are some interesting psychological aspects to it. They were German Lutherans, and he was an only child, and I think the grandmother is actually the central figure. She played a very influential role in all of this. You had this old world religion superstition, and the mother got caught up in it, and the father just kind of stayed in the background. I think he could see what was going on. It's never mentioned anywhere in the book in any of the shows, or any of the articles. The true story is much more intriguing from a psychological point of view. The basis of the real thing could be a damn good story. No doubt about it in my mind. The rest of it, I can run a parallel. You had these two mischief makers and had a strong tendency to take advantage of people who were weaker than themselves. They were a pair of connivers, and they had their act down. In pairs, like they compete with each other and don't get along well, and they have to keep doing something to retain their friendship, and all the time it's mischief in one form or the other. They were trying to outdo each other. The talk about that with this childhood friend really kind of opens up the story from a, from a big blank canvas. The priests who don't have medical degrees nor do they have medical training are only going by what they're seeing. In later interviews, Halloran kind of backed off a lot with talking about the actual events. It wasn't that big a deal. The movie sensationalized it. The book Possessed is based on the widespread misconception that the family had resided in Mount Rainier. The book's first four chapters are filled with references to this erroneous location. Helen claims neighbors knew something odd was happening at 3210 Bunker Hill, which I've already went over. Right. Bunker Hill was owned by the Haas family, and there was never a boy there, nor was there any kind of superstitious or devil worship or anything. They didn't even have kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some weird stuff that happens there, but probably not possessions. Um, Regarding the first exorcism attempt at Georgetown University Hospital by Father Hughes, Alan makes 
several bold presumptions. Hughes apparently visited the boy at his house, further claiming that there is some question about the action stemming from the priest's own confusion. Hughes decides the boy belonged in a hospital under restraints and that on Hughes' orders, the boy was strapped down. When Hughes' arm was allegedly slashed by the boy by this coil that Jeremy went over, the priest screamed and struggled to his feet while his arm hung limp. Hughes subsequently disappeared from St. James, suffered a nervous breakdown, and during later masses could only hold concentrated host aloft with one hand. Regarding Father Hughes, it seemed so absurd, I decided to do some in-depth research into the actions of the mysterious priest from St. James Church in Mount Rainier, Maryland. Born Edward Albert Hughes on August 28, 1918, he was assigned as assistant pastor of St. James. The pastor at the time was Reverend William M. Canning on Wednesday, June 16, 1948, and served without a break until Saturday, June 18, 1960. Despite what is written in this book, Possessed, with his a piece-of-shit dumpster fire, there is absolutely <laughs> no written record of an alleged exorcism attempt by Father Hughes and the Georgetown University Hospital. A source close to the case verified for me that Rob Doe was, admitting to George, was admitted to Georgetown University under his real name on the morning of Monday, February 28, 1949, and released at 12 noon on Thursday, March 3rd, 1949. The facts surrounding this Georgetown stay are Father Hughes never initially visited the boy at his cottage city home. Mrs. Doe took her son to the St. James Parish for their one and only consultation. There is no evidence that Father Hughes was ever confused at all about this entire situation. There is no evidence whatsoever that Father Hughes had the boy admitted to Georgetown University Hospital or held under restraints. Thomas Allen himself gives no reference in Possessed regarding these alleged actions. There is no evidence that while hospitalized, Rob Doe ever slashed a father, Hughes' arm, or what the priest's reaction to attack may have been. Alan, in this dumpster fire of a fucking book, once again mentioned that while Father Hughes mentioned this exorcism attempt during a lecture at Georgetown University, he made no reference to the alleged attack at all. Of further significance is that the St. Louis contingency, Father Bowdrin and Father Bishop, were never informed of the alleged first exorcism attempt, and their diary makes no mention of it. So... The entire Georgetown thing, which that dumpster fire of a documentary that came after the, right. the, the director's cut, that's all alleged. It's all fake, and it comes from a piece of shit dumpster fire book possessed. If you have it, just burn it. It'll make great fire kindling. <laughs> and then we go back to Halloran's testimony. So now that we've debunked basically everything in Cottage City and Mount Rainier, Maryland, let's go to Halloran's testimony. My question to Halloran met with brief, direct responses. Did the boy speak in any languages other than English? Just Latin. Did he appear? He understood the Latin he was speaking. I think he mimicked us. Now, this is coming from Halloran. This is an actual interview. Yeah. Okay. He's not on the podcast, but just Latin. I think he mimicked us. Was there any changes in the boy's voice? Not really. When the boy struck you in the nose, did he exhibit extraordinary strength? And I think you even said this. I don't know. I never even thought very much about it. It certainly wasn't a former world boxing champion Mike Tyson hitting me in the nose or something like that. And he laughed. Yeah. And this is coming from your one of your favorite shows, right? Yep. Uh, the radio host is, I was just giving credit. Uh, Dave Glover. So Dave Glover is interviewing Halloran. Halloran is gone now. So this is all coming from Dave Glover is interviewing Halloran when he had him. And then he also asked Halloran to elaborate and describe to me some of the things he witnessed that he could not explain. He paused and slowly said, 
I saw a bottle slide from a dresser across the room. There was no one near it. The bed moving. I interrupted and asked if the bed was stationary on rollers. He said it was on rollers, like any bed. But I was leaning on it when it moved one time. I inquired about the boy spitting, urinating, and vomiting, all activities that he was said to have indulged in with great vigor during his various points of the exorcism. Halloran responded, well, spitting was frequent. It wasn't significant. There wasn't any vomiting or urinating that I recall. So once again, we're getting a lot of conjecture. Right. We're getting a lot of things that Jeremy just went over. And this episode's going to go a little long, but this is kind of the discrepancy one. I wanted to know about the boy's father level of involvement. Had Halloran ever met the father? Had the father been present during all of this? And Halloran said, I met him once, I think. I think that he was back home in Maryland working most of the time. He wasn't really a part of this. I asked about the markings and the brandings that were said to have appeared on the body, the boy's body out of nowhere. Did Halloran actually see materialized on his skin? Did he feel the boy or someone else was responsible? And Halloran replied, I saw them. Well, right on the skin. Yeah, I did. It wasn't the boy doing it himself, you know. As far as I could see, I wanted to know if the markings ever formed numbers or letters or words as other writers have reported. It was kind of hard to really tell. Was there blood dripping from the marks? It looked more like lipstick. There were just some very clear marks like that. Uh, continuing on this subject, I asked if the priest had ever bothered to check the boy's fingernails for flesh or blood deposits. Halloran was taken aback. After a long pause, he said, When I was there, his hands were nowhere near the markings, and we didn't check. And, of course, I inquired about the famous diary of Father Bishop. I don't have it anymore. Father Halloran reported, I burned it. Apparently, there was more than one copy. So, I think Dave Glover really kind of put it out there from a, from a Q&A standpoint for was the possession in St. Louis an actual possession, or was it from Ronald Hunkler, who that you'll later find out here right now was savant yeah he was a genius he was a genius kid he was a brilliant mathematician he would go on to graduate with honors from high school and college he would get a job at nasa where he still owns the right to five uh, heat shielding plates for nasa and technology with space and travel so very brilliant boy very, as you heard from the younger friends that knew him, he was a conniver. He was malicious. They were one up in each other. I think he won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think his friend could ever combat yeah. this. And I think it did get to a point where maybe that sprint off the cliff was like, man, I fucking fucked up here. And he stayed Catholic. He stayed true to himself. And he, you know, lives a very quiet life, but a very successful life at one of those. So. I don't know. I mean, a lot of times people are like, are you trying to debunk Ronald Hunkler? I don't think that's, I don't think that's what we're trying to do. No, we're trying to put the facts out there. I I, I have an opinion. And and here you go. I I think that this was possibly real. And I think that the priests have on various different times, I think they're contradicting themselves on purpose. And I think they're, they're actually, playing a blocker for this guy, trying to protect him. Uh, I think that's why we don't know what the unknown was. That's why they say, well, yeah, he did speak Latin, but he was mimicking us. 
yeah, he did break my nose, and I was a college football player, but I wasn't like getting hit by Mike Tyson, you know. Yeah. So I think they—it's almost like they were—they were playing blocker for him. And the—the the reason that I think that is because of what happened with the locations. You know, if nothing happened, why did they raise Alexian Brothers? If nothing happened. Why did they raise the rectory at St. Francis Xavier Church? Mm-hmm. If, you know, if nothing happened, you know, and... The fifth floor. You know, the fifth floor at St. Vincent's. What's, what about the crack? In the the in crack the, in the parking lot. There's a crack in the parking lot they've tried to fix numerous times. And it We've just, seen it. Yep. Right where they raised that building, that crack stays there. And they call it the crack to hell. And Yeah. So... You know, and there's, there's, there's so many different things. I've been to that house five times. And that house has a feeling. And I didn't I didn't believe that it would because I thought, well, this is the most blessed house in possibly the country. It you know, like it didn't start there, it didn't end there. They did do some of it there. Um but my experiences in that house were they were scary. It was pretty legit too. I think when you look from it from another standpoint too is that when you look at the when you look at the house and the Instagram posts and stuff, you'll see this window, the circular window, and that's a closet. It is a closet, which is just very strange. It's a closet, and that's not the boys' room. The boys' room is directly behind that room. And a lot that, of people have said that maybe this could be a portal or something that a, a dimension can. That, yeah, they've said that there's a portal in the basement, which is where I had my terrifying experience by myself. I was actually having a conversation with somebody that I believe came down the steps with me into the basement. I'm about as far away from the steps as I get. And it's not big at all. Like, but there's stuff down there. The owner is a gamer. He has table games. Uh, But I turn around and who I'm talking to and who has been answering me is no longer standing there. So I make my way upstairs and I'm like, hey, Michael, where did you go? And he's like, um, I never went downstairs. And I'm like, dude, you totally walked down the steps and closed the door behind me. You've been talking to me. And he's like, nope, you went down the steps and I closed the door. I've stayed up here and I've been talking to him the whole time. And I'm like, for real? And he's like, yeah. And the other guy's like, yeah, he's been with me the whole time. Oh, that's fucking creepy. And so there you have it. I mean, you have this house uh, that sits in St. Louis that... You know, Jeremy's had experiences and a lot of people had experiences. If you want to watch the film, the film is, they changed the name. It used to be called, and I think you can still find it under The Haunted Boy, but it's now called, they've like done a recut on it, and it's called The Exorcist Files. So The Exorcist Files is all what Jeremy got to work on in that film. The film's okay. It's not it's not the best film, but it does give you an in depth thing about the St. Louis exorcism and the Booth brothers, I believe, directed yeah. it. Yeah, Chris and, and Phil, good Chris, dudes. Yeah, uh, they're fun. Uh, I always make the joke, you know, they look like they left a poison concert, but the fact <laughs> of that is that they were legit in a hair band. It was called oh. Alley Brat. So, so there you go. Good dudes, positive. Uh, you know, I had a lot of fun working on it. You know, because mm-hmm. I didn't actually appear in the movie, even though some of the members of the team that I was on did. Uh, I actually got paid to do it. That's awesome. So I was a, I worked as a camera assistant. That's awesome. So I worked people, really tight. Man. Yeah, it was fun. You know, Pay your crew, feed your crew. 
yeah, it was it was a good time. It was a fun experience. Uh, I'm sad that I didn't make it into St. Vincent's. Um, I did go around it. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, when you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, Ronald Hunkler, you know, it's hard to call somebody a liar, so I won't. It's hard to call somebody that, you know, there's a lot of possibilities that kind of leave this case, once again, like so many cases in St. Louis, they kind of just float above and between truth and fact and opinion. And for right now, I think it's one of the coolest cases in St. Louis history. So right now, I don't think me and Jeremy are confident in saying that this didn't happen or that it was untrue. I think what we are confident in is that I think it had the smells right, of what paranormal is and what demonic possession was, whether it was a full-on possession Maybe the priest had caught it in time where it didn't fully attach himself to to Ronald at this True. point. True, because some know? of these exorcisms last years. Right, and multiple times the same person will get possessed again. So, you know, when you read it, it's dark stuff. I sage my house after these episodes. <laughs> um, but, you know, from all of us here at, at Graveyard Shift, I hope you've enjoyed the 1949 on this Halloween episode. i got to add one thing. Okay, one more thing. One small thing. Yep. You know, another argument for it to be possibly real. Yeah. Ronald Hunkler has never spoken public ever, and he could have made a bazillion dollars doing it. That's true. I mean, he's been offered a lot of money to come I mean, out. I know Balter, Barbara Walters was refused. Yeah. Sightings. I'm sure a lot of other shows. He's never spoken publicly ever. Yeah, and so that swings both doors. Maybe if he does speak publicly, they debunk it. Maybe if they speak publicly, it well, you that's have to true. Visit this traumatic experience. That's true. So wherever you are, Hunkler, we hope you're listening, and and I uh, hope you're still praying. And I do my novena every Wednesday, so I'm glad that you're part of the the right flock in case these things happen. We and do, you know, we at don't, least we know what we're doing. Yeah, we don't we, we don't wish you any any ill will or anything. We hope yeah. you're doing good because you're probably you know. Yeah, of course. You're I mean, an old this dude has, now. This has nothing to do. It's just, it's the fact of the case and the people around the case. It's like we'd love to speak to you. And maybe here's the other thing too: that the, the psychological thing when you kind of break down in that one sense that it was more like the, one of the friends, right? We went through right. the whole. Well, maybe it was more of a psychological thing. You know, the one thing that I've learned about mental illness is like for them, it's real, right? And we can Absolutely. never forget that. We can never forget that. But you know, for him, it was real, and what he went through, it was real. And whether it was a demon, whether it was a demonic possession, it's neither here nor there. If that's what he experienced and that's what the priest felt, I think, you know, you leave off on a fact that, like, well, that's bullshit. No. Once again, it's getting back to that debunking thing that we talked about last time. It's not about debunking something. It's about, it's, it's you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this on our, our airwaves because, you know, it's kind of where we stand, too. And it's, it's Ben Shapiro, who I think is a very fair person. But what he said recently really captivated me. And he said... There's no such thing as your truths. There's the truth and your opinion. And with that note, I think we'll say and sign off, good night. Really think about those words, though. It's not your truth. It's your opinion. And there's very, very different things. So our opinions yeah. on this show are exactly that. There's no truth behind them aside from the fact that we might believe in ourselves and what we're saying as truth. And that's very different from the actual truth. From all of us here at Graveyard Shift, I'm your host, Frankie. And I am Jeremy. Jeremy David King. David. 
Have a great, happy Halloween. Save all your Reese's peanut butter cups and send them to, to me. To me. To Jeremy. Yes, send, send them, them to, to me. 2831 Akamak Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63104. <laughs> it's my actual address. <laughs> Save all of them. Keep your razor blades at home. You, to here. You know, that's. I love Reese's peanut butter cups. That's never actually. I love happened. the absence of light from four hands. And you know what? They you know what's awesome about what I can eat all those things and still fit in my Muggsy jeans. Look at that. Look at that. But I'm not. I'm actually going to look because I want to look good in my Muggsy jeans. So I've been actually cutting down a little bit. But I've cut down a little bit too. I ate a salad today. You did have a salad, but it had bacon, ham, cheese, dressing. You know, it was only you 300, just had a burger. 380 calories. It's not bad. Yeah, it was 380. I had chili that I've tasted all morning. I know. And all day. We were right by Tom's. You should have just stopped in. And I didn't know like, if hey. it was the engine off coming off our 350 and our Chevelle or it was my burps, but it sounded very much the same. They, Yeah, you did have a little lobe to your uh, burps. I had a little header in my throat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see you guys later. Children's show here. Yeah. <laughs> Love you guys. Thank you. Make sure you fucking rate us. Just God, just, just fucking rate it. Tell just us if we're crap stars. or you love it. Just rate the fucking show. Jesus. God, it's so fucking not that hard. Love you. Bye. Thanks. If you would like to join our jamboree, there's a simple rule that's compulsory. Mortals pay.